0: This is a CJSR podcast, volunteer-powered, listener-supported, campus and community podcast, Podcast. radio, radio
1: Radio and podcast. (laughs) Everything that we want to know about our food because we care about what we eat without traceability is impossible to have, have that.
0: Hi, my name is Melania Antoshko, and you're listening to That's Food. That's Food is a podcast from CGSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, handmade with love by University of Alberta students, telling the backstory to food in Edmonton one meal at a time. It's Sunday, which for most of us means grocery day. I'm buying some kale for a salad I want to make later and it's all out. Maybe next time I shouldn't leave this for 9pm. I look to the left and I see one last bunch in the organic section. But what does organic even mean? How do I know they're not scamming me? This so expensive! Now I'm walking through the meal aisle and I'm looking for something for my dinner. I'm reading the labels. One says sustainable beef. Hmm, what does this mean? How can beef really be sustainable? How do I know this is not just good marketing? In today's episode, I interviewed Hubert Lau, CEO of TrustFix, Edmonton-based agri-food company that is striving to become the most trusted and largest source of third-party food traceability and sustainability information worldwide. In this episode, I spoke with Hubert on food traceability and what it really means. And I found some answers to the questions I had in the grocery store. I wanted to look into the theme of food traceability and I was wondering like your opinion of why is food traceability important?
1: I, I think that the, the best way to look at it is that most of the time living in Canada, we don't think of food traceability, food safety is, uh, is a real problem. We always look overseas, like to, to say China or to Africa and those type of places. But CBC did, did, did a series in, in their marketplace about food fraud and mislabeling and so forth. And in Canada, there's a huge amount of, of fraudulent activities that happen. Uh, either on purpose or by accident. So farmer's market where the farmers actually did not grow the products, they actually bought it at a, at a store, took it over to farmer's market, and then claimed that they, 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 they grew it, right? Or you've got fish that are mislabeled, so consumers are paying a lot more than what they should be. Uh, and then when you talk about export markets, that becomes an even bigger problem. Now. Like when, when we import from food from other countries, do we really know what it is? and where it's been, and, and what's the history on it. And then if we look at, in terms of, uh, especially like protein products, are, were the animals uh, handled well? Did they have a good life? Were they abused? And then when we look, when we look at things like, you know, uh, uh, hormone-free or antibiotic-free and all those type of things, without traceability, you, you cannot make those claims. Right? So everything that we want to know about our food, because we care about what we eat, Without traceability, it's impossible to have have uh, have that.
0: Yeah, especially like at farmers' markets and stuff like that, where there's kind of people going there for the sustainability and like for the treatment. If there's no way for people to actually know, it's like really easy for them to scam you.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so so that that that's why it's hard. And and what's actually fascinating is when we first got in, we thought wow, this is a no-brainer. Like everybody wants to know this. Uh, so we jumped on the trying to do traceability solutions, and I'll tell you, we lost a ton of money trying to do that. And, and the reason why is that people want traceability, they want to know where it came from, but very few people actually want to pay for it. I mean, they, they, like people say, oh, well, it should, we should just know, we should have just have this uh, ability to understand this, but, uh, you know, and say, okay, well, are you willing to pay more for it? Most people, buy, if just by traceability or food safety, they're going to say no. No, that the government should deal with that.
0: Yeah, the government. The government's
1: problem. The government should do that. That's their problem. That's their job, right? And this is why we pay our taxes, right? And, and, and that's true. Like, actually, it's very true. And that was our, our first lesson in, in, in this world. Uh, so, what we realized was sustainability was the real question, not traceability, sustainability. And, and in, in our field, the sustainability is defined a, a little bit beyond. Uh, just about the environment because a lot of people think of sustainability. Oh, was it good for the world? Was it good for the planet? You know that type of things. And yes, that's one pillar But the other pillars is was it good for the community that raised those the, those food products for us? Okay, so uh, Are the farmers in the communities are they well looked after It's about the people around that business? And then there's of course if it's uh, if it's protein based and the animals or the animal handling done properly and did they have a good life when they were uh, alive? And then finally, is it financially sustainable? Meaning that I think uh, a lot of us don't appreciate that the more we demand uh, to know about our food, who's giving us that information? Well, we're actually telling the farmers, oh, by the way, we are now not trusting what you used to do and what you used to say. Uh, We are questioning your practices, even though you've been doing this for decades and decades or even hundreds of years uh, in some cases. And now we are self-proclaimed experts. So we want to demand all this information and you are going to give it to us for free. So it's kind of like if tomorrow you go to work and your boss says to you, I want you to do 50 percent more work and no extra pay. That's what we ask of our farmers right now. So I say, go, go, go pound sand. I don't care. Like, just go away. I'm not doing this for you unless you pay me. And so where our business is different is that we started analyzing that and say, can we create a situation where we can have the farmers rewarded for what we want? And if sustainability is what we want, then that's what we have to go after.
0: So can you walk me through how Big started?
1: Tr- Trustfix actually is a amalgamation of two organizations that we took public uh, back in April of last year. The first company is called Viewtrack Technologies. It was a uh, husband-wife team that started back in uh, the late 1990s to help address the the whole uh, BSC scare, the Mad Cow scare, uh, and they did fairly well. And and uh, eventually, that you know, I think my interpretation is they kind of got. Got burnt out, and it was time to move on. And so there, there uh, some of the people around the company had brought us in to basically restructure the company and then take it forward to the next step. So that's how I got introduced to it. And and I'll just say, prior to uh, that introduction, I had no idea that I was ever going to be in the agriculture industry. And one of the people that led the the introductions uh, was actually Brett Wilson from uh, the Dragons Den. And the funny thing is, I don't watch TV much, so I had absolutely no idea what Dragons Den was. Or why it was even significant, why people around our office was all excited, and like, um, and so that was kind of funny. The second company was actually a initiative that was uh, through the Canadian Cattlemen's Association, and they had created something called the Beef Info Exchange System, so FIX for for short. And it was it was a great idea, but you know, again, uh, the Cattlemen's Association is, is not an IT company, so you know, they did a great effort trying to uh, get it off the ground, and so forth, but it. It just needed more. It needed uh, extra leadership and focus and understanding of, of product development and so forth. So uh, approached them and, and bought the rights to the, uh, the program and created a new company of which the Canadian Calvin Association was part of the ownership at first. And then as we went public and we amalgamated both ViewTrack and Bixcode to uh, Bix together, that's when we said, okay, you know, it's time to take it to the world because we're enjoying successes that the world needs to know about. And, and we need to capitalize properly. And as a public market, it, it gives opportunities for uh, everybody to participate if they love our story.
0: So when you, you started, did you think that it would get to this point?
1: No, 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 no. It, the, the original start was that we were going to take it over, uh, run it for about six months, uh, restructure it, get some management in there, and off it goes. And uh, as my business partner and I were going through it, after six months, we're like, gee whiz, the people here are fantastic. Like the, the, the cattle industry is fantastic. The people are just wonderful individuals. And, and there's a lot of opportunity. So we just kept going. And when we went public, uh, Ted and I had to make a decision. One of us had to do it full time. So I sold my IT company uh, to run as the president CEO now. And, and Ted still has his own uh, software company. And so he is the vice chairman of our board. So, we're still all working very closely together.
0: I think it'll be very interesting for the listeners to hear how the BIC system and the ViewTrack kind of work. Um, like a little bit of technical, but not too much.
1: Technical, but not too much. Uh, think of it that uh, ViewTrack originally was products that you would use on site, like on a farm and so forth. So, ViewTrack had uh, a, a software called BeefTrack that helps uh, cattle producers to track their animals right and, and you know what they fed them and so forth and we also have something called feedlot solutions so for the feedlots so the, this is where the animals are getting fattening up you know to, to to be finished that those feedlots can manage their their business as well and then as the animals will go to the auction marts to be uh, bought and sold about i would say roughly about 80 percent of the auction marts in canada and about 30 ish percent in the us uh use our software to run the auctions and to do all the settlements and calculations So it really was good to kind of have that information flow through uh, and and help out the operations. But what was missing is the supply chain management. How do you add value to the products through the whole supply chain? So now you want to get it from from basically what we call gate to plate, from the the producers right up to the plate. And how do we track that information and how do we create value? So that's where the big side came in and played that role for us mcdonald's in 2015 came to the world and said we are wondering if it's even possible to verify beef production and is it able can we track in an open supply chain where we could have thousands or tens of thousands of uh, of farms all feeding information and can we track that production practice is it possible so they actually picked canada to be the first pilot site in the world and Bix being the platform. And that was actually when we took over Bix. And and so after the one-year pilot, we proved that it is possible to do that type of tracking using our technology. Then it stalled, nothing happened. Like it was the rah-rah, great, we did it. And you know, the Canadian beef industry was happy. McDonald's was happy. Nothing happened after that. And the reason why it didn't happen was we said to them, you know, there's not going to be adoption or market excitement unless we pay the producers. Like the farmers, and they're like, "Well, how do we? What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you have to pay, not the government or or anybody else. You, as the retailers, have to pay." So today, uh, going on beyond two years now, is a this Canadian certified as a certified sustainable beef program, which. Basically, if you go to McDonald's and you buy their Angus burger, you'll see a logo that says uh, uh, Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. There's a logo there, right? What that logo actually represents is that McDonald's is one of the retailers who are paying into a system so that the, the production of the animals that goes through sustainable practices, like so sustainable farms, are rewarded every quarter with a financial reward for producing the products that we all enjoy, right? And we're the technology that tracks it in the middle of all that. So when we go to, uh, and Loblaw's part of this, Cactus Club is part of this, and, and, and the you know, original Joe's, Swiss Chalet, Harvey's, uh, and Chops just, just signed up. These are all retailers who are saying, sustainable practices matter. We want to have sustainable beef. And, and, uh, and that we want our consumers to be proud of what they eat. Uh, and this actually has become now where the world is saying, don't eat meat or don't eat beef because it is it's bad for the plant and so forth. We can ask Canadians, say we are the first country in the world to have a certified sustainable beef supply chain. And what that means is that we can enjoy our beef. We have permission to enjoy beef. And why is that? It's because it's sustainably raised.
0: Is there like a governing body that looks like what that's sustainable mean in beef production?
1: There is a roundtable called the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. It's an industry collaboration. So on the one side, you've got the the farmers, the producer groups, and so forth. And the other side, you've got like the World Wildlife Foundation. We always laugh the tree huggers on the one side, and then you get the producers on the other side, and then you get government and private, uh, you know, like the retailers, and everybody else. So everyone got together, and it was a a five-year plus journey to identify the indicators of what is sustainable beef. Uh, It is based on international standards as well. Uh, but because of that work by the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, we as Cana- yes, Canadians are known as the world leaders in sustainable beef definitions and practice. You know, and we've got an auditing body called the Fair5 Beef Production Plus. They are the auditors that goes on farm to make sure that they you know they have done a f- third-party physical audit to ensure that it, it you know the claims are true.
0: Yeah. And that's really important for co- like consumers to actually believe in the claims and that stamp, because I know I've seen it before, and I'm like, what does this even mean?
1: <laughs> exactly, I, I think part of the part of the, the the problem is that we you know we do all this work, but we don't do good storytelling, right? I was
0: reading this one article on the New York Times about how in New York, I don't know if like here, but more people have been buying from. Um, farmers like directly from farmers and I was wondering if COVID has impacted people's want for sustainability in beef.
1: Uh, the, the indication we got is that you know beef sales went off the charts right like you go to Costco you got all these places you couldn't even buy meat and, and I know my family was the same thing because we eat a, a quite a bit of beef and and uh, it was like well we'll just buy whatever's on the shelf because they were empty um so so the demands there but what we are seeing uh is that buying local is 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 definitely on people's mind a sustainability is on people's mind in the sense of um it's it safe Is it safe like i i want to buy something that i know that that kofi hasn't hit it and and the and also the buying patterns like you know where where possible people are not trying trying not to go to grocery stores they're trying to order online and so forth so so uh the, yeah you're absolutely right that the the what the new yorkers are doing i think it is, is happening all over canada as well which is we care about the local and and we care about if it's sustainable
0: yeah do you think those consumer behaviors are going to stay on for the next couple of years or is it just going to die down
1: um so i can only speak personally i don't want to speak on on behalf of anybody else but personally i think i, I think it's great if it stays uh, I think what what we've done, is, COVID is the first time in in over 100 years, uh, what I would consider the modern world, that the whole world shut down, and we had to rethink about what's important in our lives, right? Uh, you know, who who do we spend time with? What should we be doing? You know, what's the you know the 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 what are we eating? Why are we eating it? Uh, how we do business? What type of business? How do I do my investments? So forth. Like it, it's a chance for us to reflect as individuals, as families, as communities, of what matters. And I think the, the buying pattern is just a new way of, just gonna be the new business model, right? And we talked to a lot of small business owners, uh, restaurant owners in, in Edmonton, and many of them were thinking, yeah, you know what? Now that we've gone through COVID, we just rather do skip the dishes type business. Like just do the delivery business versus having the full-blown restaurant and the overhead and all that. And they actually make more money and they, they're able to uh, deliver better product in their minds. Uh, and they take out the risk so that they don't have to be out of business. And they're giving c- customers what they want. With any disease, it can always come back in the second and third wave. So how do you not change your behavior long term?
0: Um, how have you seen the food supply chain, like specifically meat, adapt during COVID?
1: Uh, well, there's definitely changes in, in in facilities. So so, you know, we get to read the news about, you know, the packing plants being shut down and so forth and workers dying. So I think the food production is definitely going to have to change, right? Uh, supply, uh, lots of talk about online uh, uh, sales. How, how do we sell direct? How do we sell online? So that's going to happen. Um, how w- how will this all play out at the end? I'm not sure. But it, it, what I do see is the early adopters are changing. Uh, the retailers are changing i think the, the agenda for, for online sales it, it has gone way up but you know kudos to existing stores like you know things like uh, uh Loblaws had already rolled out online uh, purchases like they had an app that you can order your stuff yeah. i know we buy tnt tnt has that too right those who have foreseen the change already are now maximizing on those and those who did not i think are jumping on okay, how do we get get our products out through the virtual methods? Do
0: you see any big changes in the food system in five, ten years?
1: For sure. I mean, even without COVID, uh, they're they're constantly changing uh, from packaging, right? Like uh, I mean, we talk about plastics, right? So so you want you you we're you, trying to get away from plastic packaging. I know when I was at the World Economic Forum uh, last year, uh, Nestle was saying that their goal is that within the next five years, they're hoping that all of their packaging are are uh, biodegradable. And or edible. So, so, in terms of food practi- uh, 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 production practices and so, so forth, is that I, I am kind of curious how smaller farms are going to play out. Like, are they, uh, are they just going to try and sell more direct uh, uh, to the consumer? So, people who live in certain areas would just buy in their own area uh, for for the basic essentials, and then the, the nicer things at the the bigger stores and so forth. Um, so the the production, I, I think, is going to change uh, as well as I think the accommodation of exports. Like, what type of food are going to be more desirable for other other countries? So pork, for instance, because of the you know COVID and the African swine f- uh, fever, is that countries like China are are desperate for more products. So from our Canadian side is. <clears throat> how would we want to address that? And can we do it in a higher premiums? So by by giving them more of what they want, maybe adding the extra traceability and the sustainable practices, can we actually ask for more money for those? And if the answer is yes, then the practices will change accordingly to meet those demands in in the higher premiums. So, you know, and and that comes to food handling, the food safety, you know, that, that how the plants are going to process those, Uh, the packaging, I think all of those are being reviewed now, saying what is the future? Because after this pandemic, what's the next one now? The world is so connected that it's very easy to have another pandemic.
0: Um, So my last question is, um, so how can listeners become more knowledgeable on what they're eating?
1: I think the, 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 the challenge I have is that there is a ton of information out there, unfortunately. Uh, I would say that if in the, in the beef industry, uh, you know, thinkbeef.com is a great website. Um, you know, come on our, our website, uh, trustbix.com and, you know, or, or follow us on social media. So we try to point people to the right direction. Uh, our goal is to be the, the trusted neutral party. So we don't really try to take any sides. Uh, we don't sell or buy products. Um, so I think a lot of it is looking at it from the angles who is truly neutral. And how they fund it so some 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 groups claim to be neutral but they're actually funded by certain lobby groups right and that's just a front so so i, I would say if you're going to get your information get your information from 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 the right sources and the direct sources the other one that i i have enjoyed spending time looking at more and more and following more and more is the world economic forum uh there's many of the young leaders so so probably many of the listeners here should actually look at participating at the at the world economic forum it opens the whole world to you you get to meet uh, all kinds of leaders and when you are in those type of uh, arenas you will get to meet the business leaders the political leaders and the future innovators like yourselves uh, who are listening and so the the wef is a great source of uh, in, uh, information and innovations as well
0: i'll definitely look into those um personally but thank you so much for coming in. I guess we're not actually coming in today. <laughs> I can see over Zoom. Good, thank. Guess what time it is? It's snack fact time. According to Alberta Beef, Alberta has forty percent of the cows, seventy percent of the feedlot capacity, and seventy percent of the processing capacity in Canada. That's a lot of cows. They don't call it cattle country for nothing. And that's it for this episode of That's Food. Today's episode was produced by me, Melania Toschkova, and special thanks to my guest Hubert Lau from Trustfix. Our music is by Doug Hoyer. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and on our website at thatsfood.transistor.fm. You can contact us at, that's food at cgsr.com We are That's Food CGSR on Facebook and on Instagram. That's Food is produced at CGSR in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. But is it food? That's food!